Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. It's the Euro Digest here on Football Digest. I'm Guy Clark and final day is here. It's coming home or it's heading to Rome. England v Italy, the final at Wembley. A day for hopes and dreams are plenty, but will England win Euro 2020? Along for the ride today to preview the final 55 years in the waiting, we have the Mirror's Chief Football Writer, John Cross, and Assistant Sport Editor at the Mirror, Alex Richards. Guys, I hope you're both well and John, I'll throw over to you first. And what an atmosphere it's going to be at Wembley today. The whole build-up and everything, 8 o'clock, I don't think can come around soon enough, can it? It can't really. I just don't know what I'll do with myself there before then. Well, a bit of work, obviously. But um, but the, the um, I, I just... Uh, the other night blew my mind. It was... I mean, Wembley, we've all known sort of highs and lows at Wembley. But Wembley, down the years, I think, has been pretty patchy atmosphere-wise. You know, we've all probably got our favourite stadiums and our favourite grounds that we go to and sort of where, where we think the most noise is. But the, the other night against Denmark, that was just mind-blowing. It was like the atmosphere was incredible. It was like as if people had had this release valve and about 60-odd thousand fans, you know, who haven't been able to go to football for a long time, made twice as much volume as they normally would and just... It was fabulous. It was so noisy. It was by far and away the most noise I've heard at the new Wembley, probably the old Wembley, to be honest. And you know, up there with any atmosphere or ground I've I've experienced in this country, I think we probably had sort of bigger, louder noises abroad. But honestly, as we sit in now, that's the best atmosphere I've experienced. So I just think what will the final be like? I think it will be, and then some. It's just. So it feels so surreal, finally, after all these years of covering England and sort of kind of more lows than highs, suddenly approaching a final. I just cannot wait. I'm so excited for it. It'd be fabulous, you know, and the atmosphere I think will be building up, you know, already down Wembley Way. Yeah, picking up on on that point, I suppose, of more lows than highs and the new Wembley, what is it, 14 years old, 2007, it opened. And Alex, for me, one of the defining sort of, visions of the new Wembley in England playing there is the Croatia game which sort of saw us fail to qualify for Euro 2008 but but this tournament's completely ripped that up hasn't it we've had the Germany game we've had the Denmark game and now of course no matter what happens we we've got today's final at Wembley as well certainly yeah and and, and it seems like a lot of ghosts have been exercised throughout this tournament you know you speak of Croatia there and and even even we go back to that opening game and it was a great atmosphere then and and, and it was a, a one nil win which seemed to portray this England type side as you know we've had we've had decent teams down the year that have when when they've faced kind of their first really tough team they've, they've kind of been passed over they've kind of fallen by the wayside slightly that was a game that's like kind of said we're, we're here to stand up and be counted performance wasn't that great in the opener if we're all being honest but they really stood there and they were hard to beat. And they said, look, we're not moving. And, you know, we got through the Scotland game where it wasn't that great. And, okay, you come out nil-nil. And, and there was a little bit of, oh, what's Southgate doing? What players aren't really performing? He needs to make changes. He needs to be more attacking. Stuck to his guns. And, we, and they've, they've just grown into the tournament. And they, and they seem to have matured as a side throughout. You know, we got to the Germany game. And, 
and, and the atmosphere was was outstanding. But it was always that kind of thing of it's Germany. How often how often in major tournaments do we beat Germany, especially in knockout football? You know, you, you have to go back all the way to '66, and, and kind of that was a mature performance. There were difficult moments. You know, Timo Werner had chances. England had chances and spurned them, and you thought, is this going to be the day? And then that release when they got that opening goal uh, and just the, the way they then relaxed into the game. There was that moment, wasn't it, when, when Thomas Muller went clean through on goal. And when I, I think that was literally a time when an entire nation held its breath. And when he missed, I think that was the moment everybody went, oh, something's different here. And they got that second goal to kill it off and, and Harry Kane scored. And then you thought, right, he's up and running now. Here we go. Ukraine get absolutely thrashed in Rome. And then the semi-final, as, as Crossy says, the atmosphere there was just on another level. And and they won that game. They come from behind. They had that moment, that Damsgaard free kick was absolutely outstanding. And you thought, oh, is this where they wilt? Is this the actual end of the journey? But within nine minutes, they had got that goal back. And that was crucial to, to get it back so quickly. And and then they they didn't panic. They they played their football, and and when it went to extra time, you still thought this is tight, this is tense. We've seen the tension of games such as that really work against them before. You know, you remember the World Cup in two thousand and six and Euro two thousand and four, Portugal both times, and and the team never really had that impetus in extra time to go and win it, and then they end up losing on penalties. Here it was, we're going to win this game, we're going to dominate the ball. I've never seen an England team really dominate a ball in extra time like they did the other night, I thought. I thought they played with such purpose. Yeah, most definitely with that. And, and John, I suppose it's been this England team, hasn't it, to sort of turn everything on its head. And I suppose the point on the tension and nerves, I mean, today we're all going to be feeling it, but you don't feel as though that's going to transmit to the players. I'm sure whatever they are doing in the psychological management that Gareth Southgate and the side have done has been absolutely remarkable. But even, even in the Denmark game, for example, the tensions and nerves, if anything, seem to dissipate as the game goes on. They started the game at 100 miles an hour and really whipped up by the crowd and everything. And actually, after the goal, rather than then the anxiety come in, everything, the, the pressure valve was released and they grew into the game. They did. And look, I think the only period of time, period of the game, of a game where I felt they've really been nervous was, I would say, the 15, 20 minutes of the Germany game where I felt like, you know, are they are going to fall by the wayside here? Because I do think it was England's failings as much as um, Germany's midfield dominance at the time and sort of kind of, you know, there's got, still got some good players in that squad. So you shouldn't underestimate the, the importance of that win and how big that, that result was. Um, and other than that, I really felt as if, you know, they've responded each and every time. As Alex rightly points out, I think it, it's sort of that nine-minute spell when they roared back, didn't they? They were, they were slightly under the cosh against Denmark, I thought, when Denmark scored. And Denmark could, were playing well. Denmark were in the ascendancy. And then I also felt as if, uh, you know, England responded well. Sterling could have equalised just before it was denied by Schmeichel. And then a minute later, uh, they score. And then I thought at the start of the second half, it was a 50-50 game. I thought both teams were going for it. But I thought what was really noticeable, within a short space of time, England re-engaged re and kind of almost stamped their authority on the game again and got it back and controlled it and managed it. And and I really like that about that. I mean, that takes us way back to way back when to, to almost the Croatia game, 
when I thought their game management was outstanding. It wasn't, you know, that free-flowing football. But this is a different team. This is a different England mentality for me. And I think they've learned so many good lessons from 2018 that I think they've probably got more quality and more strength in depth. That's obvious. But it's also about when they take to the pitch, it's also about how good they are in seeing out games. You know, down the years, we've, we've watched and admired, haven't we, so many teams like Germany, Spain in, in recent years have been dominating England, indeed, world football. And, and I guess to a lesser extent, you know, recently, Italy. Italy are the past masters at doing that. And I think in previous tournaments, you'd think, oh, you know, really up against it against Italy today. And you know, Italy have got a really good squad. And I think a lot of people have been very guilty of um, underestimating this team. But the one thing is they've got tournament nows. And I think that they've got that experience with Benucci and Chiellini and, and other players, Verratti. You know, real big game experience. You thought, well, England not not really going to be able to sort of match that. And that's the difference this time. I think Southgate has put that mindset in. You know, the, the first thing is overcoming the kind of the penalty curse. The second thing was kind of overcoming, you know, various barriers. But for me, the biggest barrier of all that they've knocked down is that game management barrier. They're very, very clever. They're cute. They're streetwise. They're able to kind of, you know, see out games and, and, and be authoritative in games. And I think that's, that's a major step forward as to why England, with this ambition, because they've got the quality and depth of dominating football, um, you know, for the next what three, five years, and having a real purple patch with this squad, that that is that is almost as important as having the strength and depth. That is a change in mentality, which is fabulous. Yeah, John, I'll just sort of come back to you, John, in terms of sort of how this is then that mentality's been built, because you've obviously been embedded with England through major tournaments sort of on numerous occasions, obviously this time around, it's not quite the exact same of how up close and personal you're able to get due to sort of restrictions and whatnot. But in terms of England, what, 10 years or so ago, the, the, the phrase England DNA was kind of borne out and it became a, a bit of a stick to beat the side with. But I suppose through experiences and through tournaments like the World Cup and like uh, this Euros, actually, slowly but surely, that mentality has been able to be built. And we've kind of got the, the, the phrase now from Southgate all the time. These players are no longer burdened by the past and they're inspired about what they can achieve in the future. Yeah, definitely. It's it's it, At various points, I feel as if they've not managed it well. So you had the golden generation and it was all about trying to, you know, squeeze all of those players in, into the same team and you, you allowed egos and cliques to 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 take over and it all fell by the wayside basically fabio capello's reign was was you know a painful one boring and sort of no fun players didn't really want to join up and and again it's you know it's sort of Roy Hodgson, i think you know, did a fairly good job with a bit more bit of luck then basically it might have gone slightly different, but it, it'll always be defined by the Iceland game. I think Roy knows that really. And, you know, you, you've got to move on. And, and I just feel as if what Southgate has somehow done is, and he started it really for, for, from the Russia World Cup, was make England fun again and reconnect with the fans. You know, allow the fans to see what the players are really like, to see what their emotions are like, you know, expose themselves to the fans in terms of, you know, just being open about, their hopes and aspirations, why it's gone wrong before, what they're like as people, and just lay their souls bare, basically. And I think it's, I think it's fantastic that they're, that they're able to do that. And I think it's, it, it, it's just grown 
with that. They they put a great deal of emphasis on on the players speaking and having the confidence to speak and showing their themselves. And you can see players evolving. You really can. And it's uh, I think it's quite noticeable that Jaden Sancho, for example, hasn't done very much in this tournament. And he's you know he hasn't played very much either. Coincidence? I don't think so. I think it's I think they basically probably wanted to see him do more and sort of you know you know basically be part of that. And it's uh, you know a lot of those players I think have grown from the experience. It's a fun place to be, and I I know it's become a little bit you know, almost cliched, it's the kind of the unsung heroes who are not playing almost. But there's some so much in that, in that I think previous squads of tournaments have been wrecked by, you know, difficult naysayers in the background complaining because they've not had their opportunity on minutes. This time we've got Jordan Henderson who signed up and knew what he was in for because Gareth Southgate said, look, you're probably not going to start, basically. Marcus Rashford, again, big character. He's not fully fit, let's be clear. Otherwise, he, he would be sort of in the conversation. Of course he would. You know, Connor Cody to, to a lesser, you know, sort of extent because he's he's been on the bench every single time. But what a character around the group. You need good tourists as well as good players in a long sort of kind of campaign like this. And Southgate has found that balance brilliantly. And I think that, that togetherness is, is so important to, to be successful. Let's, though, talk about the game. And, Alex, we've got two sides who I think we can't sort of say don't deserve to be in the final. Italy, 33 games now unbeaten. And England only conceded once in the tournament. That free kick, of course, from Damsgaard. So, yet to concede in open play. Yeah, I think um, I think we are where we are with the two best teams of the tournament now. I, I think the there were other sides where you looked at France and they had Mbappe. You looked at Portugal with Ronaldo. Other teams had more probably the biggest star names and you thought would those guys individually fire them to the, to the final. You, you saw Belgium with the attacking talent, Lukaku, De Bruyne, Nazard. They've kind of fallen because that defence just hasn't evolved in 10 years and, it, and it's never improved. So we've got to where we are with the two best teams. Um, as you say, England, only that Mikel Damsgaard free kick is the only goal they've conceded. Defensively, they've been absolutely outstanding throughout. Um, Jordan Pickford has, has really... You know, he kind of undergoes a transformation when he goes from Everton to England. He, he, he kind of, I, I don't know, when he, when he, whenever I see him for Everton, he's kind of a, a little bit erratic. He's, he seems to want to do everything a little bit too quickly. He always wants to come and be involved in things. With England, he, he seems to take a step back. He seems to just be released and just, I'll do it in my own time. I'll do things when ready. And, and his kicking's been a, a big plus for the side, I think. Obviously, John Stones, his, his re-emergence in the last 12 months is a story in itself. Harry Maguire being back fit, rock solid. And as you've mentioned there, Declan Rice, his partnership with Calvin Phillips has, has been such a, a tremendous base. Both of those players have grown into the tournament because I, I think when we were looking ahead of the, the whole thing, we were thinking that potentially without Jordan Henderson, that may have been a little bit of weakness. And there the were, the were, of course, fans who thought Henderson and, and perhaps even Jude Bellingham would would grow into being that preferred too. But Phillips and Rice have been absolutely tremendous and the the kind of unsung work that they have been doing has been so key in this this defence that we've created. And speaking of defences, you know, you, you look at Italy and, and and what they have done, the great old stages, Chiellini and Benucci still there, Donnarumma in goal, it, 
he's absolutely he's a monster of a goalkeeper, isn't he? If we've been frank, and he's going to be there for the next decade or so. Um, they came into the tournament with their own brilliant defensive record. Obviously, that has been breached. But you look at them, and you look at Crossy mentions there England's game management. I think Italy's game management has been out of this world at times. The quarterfinal against Belgium, when they had the lead late on, and and they were they were hanging on, and they really. You know, they're masters of the dark arts. They really got through that one late in the day by not actually having to do that much defending because the ball just wasn't in play that often. Spain in extra time were coming on strong the other night. Similar thing. Italy just dug in and said, OK, we'll take penalties here. We'll back, we'll back ourselves on that score. And they're absolutely right too. And I think, as, as Crossy mentions there, about England's um, all, to, all for one, one for all, the togetherness of the squad, Italy are very much in a similar boat. Um, I think we've mentioned before, Roberto Mancini, he's got previous experience of going to major finals and not playing. And that's something that he just hasn't wanted for any member of that squad, really. So they've all been very much in that together together boat. And you see the celebrations when they're winning games and, and how they're celebrating with their fans as well. It's very similar to England. And I think this is, this is a game where we have got the two best sides of the tournament now going head to head. And the game management is going to be fascinating, John, because certainly in, in that semi-final with Spain, Italy, who've been aggressors on, on the front foot a lot through the tournament, and in, in my eyes, playing a lot like a club side in many respects, all of a sudden sat off the Spanish and went maybe to that traditional Italian sort of idea that we have of them sitting off and being very sort of regimented defensively. And they got themselves over the line and got themselves into the final. But I suppose that midfield makeup that they have, Verratti, Jorginho, Barella, up against Phillips and Rice. Now, they've been brilliant, but it's going to be the biggest test of the tournament for, for Phillips and Rice this afternoon, isn't it? it? It will be, yeah. I do think the Italian midfield is very, very, very good. Um, I think Jorginho is, is Mancini's go-to man, isn't he? Well, I know slightly sometimes Chelsea fans are a little bit divided on him and sort of maybe the perception in... in, in, in you know, in Premier League terms, is is he, you know, is he that good? And people are still questioning, well, you know, I think so, really. I think he's really come to the fore in the last um, few months, isn't he, under Tuchel and been, you know, had a terrific season, really. And I think that he's showing the sort of form uh, and the sort of performances that made him such a such an important buy. I love Verratti. I'm slightly obsessed by Verratti. I think he's such a good player. I mean, he's such a stylish. He's a nightmare, player. though, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, but he's tremendous. But he will cause those nightmares, isn't he? You know, he kind of he'll get amongst them and kind of he's got a bit of everything, I think, in his game. So he's got a bit of bite, he's got a bit of steel, he's got a bit of style. And I just seems think to add a bit more attack on the attacking front for Italy than what he does with Paris. Yeah, as well. a little bit. A little yeah. bit. I do I do think he's you know, I love watching him play. I do think he's a very you know, he picks a pass and he's so clever and so intelligent, I think. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, we're slightly underestimating Italy is their midfield. I think we're sort of kind of overlooking the fact that, you know, if you break down the teams, then they've got a fabulous goalkeeper. They've got two centre-halves who, frankly, I mean, just, I know their age and, and so on, but are just absolute monsters. And their midfield, the one area is, you know, up 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 front. I mean, Spenzola is, um, is a big miss. Um, and it's just, yeah, that that's and Chiesa, I think, is is a very, very um, 
very interesting player. I think he, he was very good against Spain, really. But it was interesting the way that they sort of managed the game against Spain. I couldn't quite work it out. I was there as well, and, and I couldn't quite work out whether it was because Italy was so, uh, you know, tried to manage that game or, or Spain were just so, um, you know, on top at times. And I felt as if Spain, in a way, would have been more dangerous opponents for England because if they clicked at any point and if they'd found a sort of a way and a goals out there, then, then frankly, you know, they, they wouldn't have stopped because their approach play and everything they did was, was great. But I do think Italy just because of that experience and because of that quality. But they do lack a little bit, I think, Italy up front. And that's why I think they they have to manage games. They have to be intelligent with it because they just know that they're not going to be prolific. They just haven't got those options anymore. And I think that basically, you know, I think it's going to be such a tight game. But I think midfield has been the biggest pleasant surprise, really, because that Rice-Phillips axis, that dynamic has worked so well for England. And I think it has, you know, Phillips has blown me away. I mean, I thought that he would start games, don't get me wrong. But I do think the the way he's dominated games has been so, so impressive from the first game. You know, he's, he, you know maybe he's had the old 45 where it's not gone so well. I think the other night wasn't, wasn't you know, in 90 minutes his best. But again, towards the end of, uh, end of the game, you finish 120 minutes, you thought, wow, he's been great again. And, you know, they've defied all expectations and been terrific for England. They really have. Yeah, he plays a very different role for England as well, doesn't he, Phillips, of, of actually getting round the pitch, being that terrier in there rather than just sitting and controlling like he, he does for Leeds. But Alex, forgive me if it, it's wishful thinking, but I'm thinking on that Italy midfield, they are well-oiled and they've got some very good passes in that, but maybe off the back of them, between sort of that midfield three and the defensive two, if we have a striker sit up against them, you're going to get no joy whatsoever. But Danny Olmo proved for Spain, if you try and pull them into positions they don't want to be, they are a combined age of, of 70, albeit their positional play is absolutely second to none. But if Harry Kane can do what he does, get around the pitch and start popping up in areas and causing a bit of problems, help out maybe Rice Phillips and mount a bit and release the likes of, of Sterling and maybe Saka, whoever does play on the right wing, then we might get some joy in those kind of positions. As I say, it might be wishful thinking, but we, ca we can't sort of just be praising the Italians for having world-class operators. Our forwards in this knockout phase have been absolutely brilliant. Yeah, of course. And as you say there, Danny Olmo had, had real success, in it, particularly in the first half, of dropping into the, the hole that was behind that Italy midfield and, and neither Benucci or Chiellini wants to go out and engage. It's not their game. If, if they're defending on the 18-yard box, that, that's tremendous for them. If they're having to come and, and move into the halfway line and, and, and follow an attacker into an area, they don't want to go there. And I think, I think Raheem Sterling can find joy there as well tonight. I think what Italy did against Spain was that they kept moving Jorginho to go and mark Pedri and he left that big hole. I don't think, I don't think Jorginho would be moving that much tonight. He'll be, he'll be staying so much closer to the two of them. For, for that very reason. So I think that you're going to have the, the part where you can come to the sides of him. And I think Sterling and, and whoever plays on that right, whether it's Saka, they're the two that you'll be able to get into those little holes. Perhaps you'll be able to move Kane if he goes left, if he drifts right, he'll be able to do it as well. And, and as you say, do Chiellini or Benucci follow him or do they allow him to turn and then face him up? Um, you know, I, I, I can't really sit here and tell them what they should do. Because, you know, they're, they're going to be winning, I think it's cap 220 and 221 between them tonight. Um, so it, it will be really interesting to see how this Italy side faces up. Because as Crossy says, there have been times at this tournament where they have tried to dominate and there have been times where they've just tried to manage the game. 
um, and just tried to get through. Um, so will we see tonight an Italy side that takes the game to England and wants to boss possession, or will we see one that sits off and says to us, OK, you try and you try and break us down, you throw men forward and we'll try and pick you off on the break? Um, it, it's a really interesting conundrum, you know, yeah, as, as Crossy says as well. If this had been Spain in the final, I think we know what we'd have seen from Spain. They would have come, they would have tried to take the ball, they would have tried to dominate and ask questions. Um, it's it's so fascinating and it's such a game on a, it's just on a knife edge. Which, which England turns up, which Italy turns up, what, what are we going to get from them? It's such a tight call that you really do look at the, the home advantage that England have and say that can be a defining factor tonight. Yeah, we spoke about that right at the start. Right, last five minutes. Then let's let's pick our sort of England 11s. We may well know what it's it's likely to be, but what we would like to see, uh, of course, Pickford in goal. I don't think John would we, change the back four, would we? No, no, we wouldn't really. Uh, look, look, I, I do think you know, I do think it will be a, a, a landmark occasion tonight because I do think it will be Gareth Southgate. Um, I think we'll. I'm pretty sure he will name an unchanged team for the first time in 37 games, and I guess that that is, you know, the the um, the the mark that basically he's found a winning rhythm, and he kind of doesn't want to interrupt that flow. But basically, it's a it's a run that that dates back three years. It's incredible. So I do think England are unchanged tonight, and. Um, Look, I think at various points, obviously Pickford, at various points, I think the right back has been a discussion point. I think other other areas just haven't been. And I think Walker has had terrific games defensively, none better than his uh, performances as right-sided centre-half against Germany. And I think he's had good games. You know, he played well the other night, I thought, against Denmark. But his use of the ball has been weird. I mean, it's just been off. That's not him. You know, so I do think in fairness to him, I think that's that's a strange one because he's just, I think he's sort of kind of, you know, been great defensively. He's never looked so quick against opponents. He's just like, he's England's rescue man because at, at times, even when people are breaking down the other side, he's, he's had the pace. Um, I don't know what he's done, but he seems even quicker than ever. He's swept around and made those sort of kind of in, into interventions he's been fantastic the two center halves look after themselves um and i think stones and Maguire have been have formed this amazing partnership stone hearing him speak friday exuded confidence it was brilliant you know to see him in that place then luke shaw you know he's really nailed down that place what a, what a fantastic tournament i think he's had vice phillips and then i guess it's slightly what interests me a bit is i think they're going to go four three three Rather than four two three one, yeah. If you see what I mean, so it's just a slight yeah. tactical tweak, and I think I just think that maybe gives them a bit more numbers in against the Italian midfield, and I think that's important. So I think it. Well, we saw Southgate shape up, didn't we, against Germany? So it, it would kind of, it would make sense, wouldn't it, if he does it against Italy? As you say, Mount is yeah. capable of playing deeper. Yeah, I do. I do think so. And then basically, it just gives them a little bit more balance and gives them a little bit more numbers because I think that would be an area where you think well, Italy can come and dominate that because they have got that that quality in midfield and then you know then Saka you know on the right hand side what breath of fresh air he's been since he's come in the Sterling cutting in from the left and then obviously Harry Kane and <laughs> if Harry Kane clicks tonight what an amazing thing it would be if he wins the golden boot I mean I just love to see it because I just think he's he's so good for England I love watching Harry Kane I think Harry Kane's such a good player 
and he's it, you know he takes all all the criticism all the stick in such good heart and basically always with the attitude i'll come good i know i will and it is exactly what he's done and it, uh, you know so i do think now the team almost picks itself i think that's a great place to be in yeah, and, and Alex, it won't hurt, will it, having likes of, of Sancho and Grealish waiting in the wings because the full squad is going to be needed. Yeah, of course. And as we've seen in games, the substitutes are absolutely crucial. And Southgate has used them really well, I think. I think there were some questions the other night of why he only used Grealish as the only sub before extra time. You see Denmark using pretty much their full quota. He timed, he timed it to perfection because Denmark subs actually kind of killed their momentum in the second half of that game. Um and England just grew stronger and stronger. He has used his substitutes really well. I think there's no doubt about that. You look, go back to Grealish in the, in the Germany game and, and the way he's, he's moved Raheem Sterling from the left to the right when games have changed. And, and it's going to be key here because I don't think it's a problem having a side in, in such a, a tight game that you know it's, go, it's going to be built from the back. It's going to be a tight start. When that game then opens up and space opens up, you know, to be able to bring on Sancho, Rashford, Grealish, players that can carry the ball, players that can beat a man and open up areas for other people. It's something we've never really had, isn't it? You know, we've gone to tournaments before and it's always been, there's your strongest 11. And then after that, it's kind of a drop off to, to, to the next kind of guys. You know, you, you think of Euro 2004 and no disrespect, but if you lose Michael Owen Derice for sells the next man up, now it's kind of, we have got players who you can rotate them on a game-to-game -game basis. And when the game changes, you can bring them on because they give you something different. And, and how Southgate uses his subs will again be key tonight. And, and hopefully it's, it's what helps to, to bring it home. I was going to say, I thought you were going to say right at the end there, hopefully it's coming home. Well, we will have to wait and see if that is the case. That's it from us for today's edition of the Euro Digest. We will be back tomorrow with a roundup of the tournament as a whole. Will England be champions of Euro 2020? Well, you'll have to join us then. But from myself, Guy Clark, John Cross and Alex Richards, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. <laughs>